After the sermon, let us sing the third and fourth stanzas of the Psalm 32. Our text for this afternoon is found with the verses 3 through 5. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we always enjoy reading the Psalms. They, they serve the purpose of being of assistance to us in, in many circumstances in life, and especially if, if there are troubles in life. There's many beautiful Psalms that are, are given which convey the comfort uh, that is to be found in them. Comfort of knowing what it is to belong to the Lord, to be a child of the Lord, and to, to receive his covenant promises as, as help for our lives, and as addressing those needs that we have. Certainly Psalm 32 is one of the, the beautiful ones. Again, it is a psalm of David, many, as many of them are. And how it starts, too, is, is, is beautiful. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Beautiful words indeed. Of course, it's, it's also that at times we wonder now, what are we to make of this? How are we to apply this to ourselves? And it's easy enough to say, oh yes, that's what I feel too. But really if we look at it closer, we say, when was the last time I ever said what David has said? And then you may think, well, David lived under different circumstances, lived in a different time. You can say yes, you can say yes. But does that rule out that we might speak that way or say these things. I think we would all agree it shouldn't. But does it? This is also the question that's to be asked. And then I think we feel a, would feel a bit squeamish if, if pressed on the point and said, well, have, on one-on-one -on -one somebody asks you, well, have you felt this? And and if, to be honest, you would probably have to say no. And we pray for our transgressions being forgiven. And, and quite often we, we say it as, as a matter of words. We rattle it off. Forgive us our sins. Or hear our prayer and forgive our sins in Jesus' name. And boom. Amen. It's, it's almost like an afterthought at times 
question of our sin. It certainly doesn't stand before us as, as something that is, that is horrible. Something that can eat away at us. And so it does us good to, to be reminded of, of the words that come to us by the psalmist. And we know David has, was one who got himself into some real difficult situations. And we know that in situations like that, and some of us have suffered, or we've, we've gone through, uh, through the valleys, so to speak, the shadow of death. We know that he has this special yeah, role that he plays in Scripture which, in which we see him challenged by enemies and, and by his own sins. So we say, okay, he's an exception. But, but really, brothers and sisters, we, we should be careful with that, that we do not make differences and say, well, here was a special person. I know we can also say that about the prophets. These are special people. But, but brothers and sisters, they were sinners just like us. The New Testament speaks about the prophets that way too talking about the great prophets. They sinned. They lived with sin. Jonah lived with sin, for instance. Didn't do what the Lord wanted. And so we have to be very careful that it doesn't become a convenience to say, well, well, this is a special situation. No, we have to take Scripture and we have to apply it to our own lives. And it doesn't mean that we have to experience and the sins that... David experienced that he indulged in before we can do it every sin brothers and sisters is is deadly all sin is really worthy of punishment by death indeed if for the tiniest sin we would still fall into the category of where Adam and Eve stood as being disobedient to God and therefore subject to eternal condemnation. It's, it's that way with sin. We mentioned it this morning as well. And, and yes, again, we're in that series where I've addressed the youth. And it's also the youth that is, is called here as much as every one of us is. We don't want to single them out as, and say, well, they're the ones that are always doing bad things. And parents are not. Uh, no, that's not the point. But we also want the youth to, to, to realize that they need to grow up and grow up in the Lord. That's why the word comes to them and at times in a special way. And, and knowing then too that we tend to not see sin as, as, as a deadly thing, we tend to categorize sin into serious, less serious, and perhaps little mishaps. And killing, of course, we say, well, that's the worst thing. Stealing, well, that's bad too, but a little less. Drunkenness, a little less again. You can understand that that might happen. It's, it's not always intended. And it does happen. 
And then, yeah, sexual touching as, as boys and girls. Well, if you're in love with each other, even though unmarried, surely God will understand those good intentions that we have, with, even though we've done these things. And, and there you see it. We tend to classify sin. Brothers and sisters, God hates sin. It's as simple as that. That's what we're up against. A God who judges justly, who does not turn for a split second, having a blind eye to sin. You're called to work at living lives in which you are to be thankful to God, as we heard this morning that the way for your sin to be covered and not to be counted against you, you have to see that that has been provided, that you've been given the opportunity now to live in thankfulness for what Jesus eliminated from your life in the way of sin and death. And I know sin still is there. And it's an easy step to take hold of it again. It's an easy step to fall back into what we once did as sin and which we have avoided for a while, to go back to it again. It's a, we're not out of the woods, so to speak, as to the matter of sin. But to, to say again this afternoon, it's a matter then of showing our thankfulness. That's what scripture calls us to. That's what the psalmist calls us to. When he speaks about being blessed at having our sins, our transgressions forgiven, covered. Yeah, and especially for us. We know what that word covered means. It means for us, the blood of Jesus Christ. David still had to look forward to that, but he understood it. He understood what it was that God covered his sins that God gave him reprieves from doing wrong and that's what we want to see congregation what the Lord has to deal with us as to our lives day by day he has to look at these sins and to know that he is there to say they've been forgiven in principle they've been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ and we can latch on to the idea we are children of the Lord we're covenant children we're children of the Lord what we are is what God has made us. And we can always fall back onto that as a, as a source of strength and comfort to be careful then that we do not abuse that. And that we see the importance of, of expressing ourselves now for the glorious gift of salvation we have received, for expressing ourselves to the Lord first of all, but to each other as brothers and sisters as well. It's now that we've been given that glorious possibility to, to serve him in the way that he, he wants us to, to serve him. And to proclaim to you then this afternoon the word of our Lord as we find that with our text under the following theme and heads. Living thankful Christian lives, knowing that our sins are covered and not counted against us. A message addressing, addressing our youth. First of all, then, identifying the attack of sin. Secondly, acknowledging and confessing our sins. To identify it and 
and then also to acknowledge it and confess it. Identifying the attack of sin. I believe the question of first order is, have you taken and are you continuing in your life to take a stand for Christ? Are you busy, busy looking at your life as redeemed through the blood of Christ and set apart for doing good works and exercising, yes, daily setting up a plan of action through prayer and reading, doing what you hear the word of God tell you and, and looking for strength in prayer that you may do what is being asked, Give, asking the Lord to give you strength. And I can imagine you saying, yes, I'm doing that. After all, I have a Bible. I do pray. I go to church. I go to catechism. I go to, to a reform school. I go to young peoples. I've got everything in place just as I was asked to do from my youth on. That yeah, kind of sounds like the rich, rich young ruler, doesn't it? What to say about that? Good. Good. And not to now criticize that per se. Not at all. Say yes, that's in the, that's what you need to do. It's in the right direction. But do we stop and think about it? Does it become something intense for our lives? Do we perhaps think we've done enough to meet God's standards, which are the Ten Commandments? All perhaps say, well, yeah can't do it perfectly so before you answer the, I'd like to say this I've, I've heard a response that's been given to that question on many home visits by young and old alike when asked how they measure up to the call of scripture in how dedicated are you to serving the Lord and then we hear it time and again, have over the years, and I'm sure as elders, as present and past, will we'll verify this when, when they confront a person, or I shouldn't say the word confront, but when they ask the question, they'll say, oh, I try to do my best, but I know I often fail. Is that sincere or is that convenient? Well, maybe sincere. But perhaps more often it can also be convenient. You've said the right things, haven't you? I want to do, and I try to do what the Lord wants, but yeah, I fall short of the mark. And who's going to point the finger and say, yeah, what about this or that, right? You've already said, I've, I often fail. We want to take those answers as, as sincere, and we, we treat it that way too. Because who are we to, to judge the heart? But nevertheless, to bring it up, because I think we need to know that we're doing the right thing when we say these things and not out of convenience. And that's why the Word of God always addresses us and asks us to look a little closer. And therefore, from the pulpit, that can be said that way too, that you, that you look at yourself and see if, if you're really doing what, what God wants or that you're, you're giving lip service to him. 
No one wants to say they're perfect, but neither do some want to be busy fighting. And to know then, brothers and sisters, that failure is not an option. Sin is deadly. It brings about man's death and destruction. If only to have sinned once, as we said earlier, we have to die. And we have to take that for what it is, brothers and sisters, without saying anything else. Sin equals death. Then, does that not say to us that we should not simplify sin and make it sound as if it's part of life? That we say, oh, there's good and there's bad, such is life. There are those who call themselves religious, even who call themselves Christian, people of one form or another who think that way. Life has to be about good and bad in order to be life, the yin and yang, so to speak. But is that correct? Is the result which is sin, the true answer to life? Is God the creator? A God of yes and no? My Bible tells me that God only is yes. He's only for good, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Good alone. We need to know that sin is the evil which it is needs to be taken away. What is it that Jesus died because of sin? Does that not speak to us? Does that not cry out loudly and say, at least ask the question, why did he have to die? As to find the answer, well, because of you and because of me. He died because of what we were, what we have become. And what was that? We became sinners. He died for that. Think of it. He died for that. He paid that ultimate price. And how he did it, no one else can do. He did it as one who was without sin. He experienced death like no one else could. Because when he experienced it, he experienced it as one who was perfectly good. None of us experience death that way. In a sense, there is that immunity. We feel that immunity to sin. It doesn't affect us, except in severe, severe cases with cancer and things like that, or dying a painful death in one form or another. For the rest, we go through life and we live much like yeah, well, it's good days and the bad, bad days. Almost live like with the goddess Fortuna. You know, that cycle of life is always good and is always bad and is good again and is bad again. It will just keep on going like, going like that. And that is, of course, old Rome used to think that way before Christianity. Fortuna, the goddess Fortuna. The wonderful news, the good news, the gospel, starting already in paradise after that first fall into sin, was there to say to us, I will deal with that. I will deal with that sin, God said. I will send my son into the world. And he will bring destruction 
on sin and on death through his death. Why to do that? To cover in the sight of God all our sins. All that would deny us continuation with him and in fact eternal life. He came to die for all our sins, not just the bad ones, which we may pray for from time to time. No, but also those little sins, those things that you say to your husband or your wife, which is not pleasant, or to your children, the anger that you show without reason. Those things too, things that you say, oh, well, that's life, and they're going to have to just put up with me on on this or that. No, for all our sins. He died for all our sins. And so we need to incorporate them into our thinking. All our sins, not just some, but all. You need to acknowledge that. So that when you do, you also find it in you through the power of the Spirit to want to fight against the sin that is out to destroy you. You need to live the life which says, God is now in charge. Good is now the order. Only when we do that do we come into the position with David to say the things that need saying as we live the life that needs living. For what about David? How does he describe his sin? And remember, David committed great sins just in case you think your sin is too terrible that that it could ever be forgiven by God. Think of David. And he would have lived with his sin if not confronted. But the Lord would not let him live with his sin. He confronted David through the prophet Nathan. He reminded David, I'm sure, in his his prayer life and understanding of the law. He reminded David of what was right and what was wrong. David had harbored the sin, but God exposed it. And then we get to see what it did to him when he kept silent about his sins, when he harbored and did not acknowledge his sin. David said, and he says it, of course, in a very poetic way, in a very graphic way, and and perhaps you want to say it's a little bit overdone way, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Literally, Of course not. But he felt something intense. He felt that that his life was ebbing out as bones wasting away, as as we can imagine what that must be like. And it was through his groaning. He felt the groaning and he felt how small he was becoming and how worthless he was in the sight of God. To ask ourselves in this afternoon, have I ever groaned? over my sins in that way. Again, we, we, we'll admit we've fallen short of the mark of doing what the Lord wants us to do. But have you felt something of your bones so-called wasting away? Has your sin attacked your whole way of living? David shows us that he who does 
not in confession, pour out all his corruption before God, that person only tortures himself and will continue to torture himself until he unburdens himself of his secret curse. I hope you realize that. I know sometimes as as Christians, we think we can get away with sins, especially sins of a, of a sexual nature. You're put into position as to committing adultery. And people have done that in our churches. They've committed adultery. And for a lot of them, it's, it's probably to walk away from church and you don't see them again. But there are also those who have, have, have heard the word of God and who know what it is to sin and who are reminded of that after they've done that. I've committed adultery and, and they can't live with it, brothers and sisters. Or that they've stolen something. And if you're in cahoots with that person, you figure you're going to get away with things. It doesn't always work that way. Because whereas you, like David, might want to go on and, and not think about it twice until confronted, there are those who are confronted by their conscience. And they can't live with it. You may think you have a secret going as to One of them is a weak one. And we can be thankful because what's called for here is to open it up before the Lord. Realize that that can also happen in those situations where you think you can get away with things. The Lord is, is the one who, who convicts us of our sins. And he will do that. Don't think everything is going to be coast clear. It won't happen. Quite often it, it does not happen. As you think it will. And then, yeah, then you're exposed, aren't you? Then you have to admit it, just like David. You have to admit what it was you did wrong. And it's always wonderful when when it can come to that so that you can that you can seek that forgiveness with the Lord We're getting ahead of ourselves basically the second point but it is to identify that brothers and sisters boys and girls to identify the attack of sin for what it really is that's what we need to do Do you feel tortured? Some of us live with, with ailments. I've lived with it for a long time. We don't really know why we have these things, why we're constantly sick, or why are we have ulcers, or why we have, yeah, what we have. Our body is being attacked from every direction. One might consider that what David has said here, our bodies, our bones wasted away as something of, of, that has to do with guilt 
feeling of guilt, that we're being made to feel guilty because of the sin that we're harboring, that, we're, that we have not brought to the light of day. Sin produces guilt. When it does, it can change your whole bodily functions. And then we know, do we not, according to Scripture, it's better to lose a member of your body in fighting sin than to enter hell with it intact. should say something to us as well as to a remedy, perhaps, of why you have those ulcers or whatever, whatever may be afflicting you, brought on by your nerves, many instances, you might consider getting a healing there. You don't want to uh, leave things intact and as to enter Helen when you could have put it off. Could have gotten rid of it by confessing your sin. But are we even that far? Does sin, congregation, does sin still speak to us? Or do we no longer think about it as perhaps David did in, in his days? Has sin become something standard? Well, if it has, it is a dangerous situation. It requires being addressed. Are you giving into all sorts of sins, young people? Doing as the world does? Are you so far gone that it doesn't prick your conscience any longer? Do you really care whether I'm here preaching or not, or Reverend Slump? Are you just trying to please father and mother a bit by going to church? turned off for the most part, thoughts on this and that, fooling around with our, our little phones in the back of the church, because it's a bit boring, listening to the sermon. You need to identify the attack of sin for what it is in those instances. In all of those instances just mentioned, things that we, we feel quite often. It's sin. And we haven't realized it in many instances. Think again of Jesus. God gave him. Don't fight against him. But be joined to him and remain joined to him. Don't fight against the spirit. But let him do his work in you. Through the proclamation of the word. To tell you of the wonderful precious gift of salvation. Jesus Christ. And in this, uh, boys and girls, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to, to pray when the whole of society says, oh, you can't do that. You can't pray out to other gods or to the only God in our case then. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to do it no matter what the world says. Help each other in this as, as boys and girls. And don't mock the one who wants to do good, but be joined with him or her. Dare to be different from those of this broken world. So to come to the second point, acknowledging and confessing your sins. Perhaps you've taken a stand to serve Jesus. Your conscience has spoken to you. 
You've pulled away from some of your negative friendships and have lived for Jesus in a real and dynamic way for the last year or so. You don't go to the parties where there, there is excessive drinking and carousing, riotous behavior. But this past week, you felt the need to be with the crowd again. You've gone out with the boys after a game, taken the edge off by drinking a cool one or, or two. One thing leads to another, and boom, you find yourselves high as a kite. By the time you get home, you feel rotten, not just from the beer, but also from the Holy Spirit's loving conviction. Now, were your so-called friends Christian friends? Shame on them! Where is their conscience, one might ask? How is it that young Christian boys and girls in the church can be living as the world does? How is it that they are are calling those who want to do the will of the Lord do-gooders, or worse names, who are you serving? To confront your brother and sister in this way and mocking them for being Christians. What's going on? This is happening. This is happening, brothers and sisters. What's going on, boys and girls? Do you have to take Satan's side and, and call your brother or sister in the Lord a do-gooder? Or think of him that way, holier than than now Christians, people that you want to avoid because they're party poopers. They're party poopers. To you, is that how you think? Repent. Repent. Do not grieve the spirit. And you who who are struggling, you have tried to do good who feels the pain of having given into sin and having fallen, don't hang on to it, but confess it to the Lord, as David did. And depending on what the sin is, may not just be beer, can be a sexual sin just as well, don't hesitate to admit your sin. Don't keep it in and let it work on you, You don't need to groan all day as as your body is wasting away because of fear and guilt. You don't need the hand of the Lord to feel heavy on you, on your strength, sapping you of, of, of your energy because of your guilt. But Paul says in Romans 12, do not conform any longer. In other words, take that positive step that you did, go back to it and do the same. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. According to this verse are two groups of people those who are becoming like the people of the world and those who are being transformed into Christ-likeness. Which are you, brother, sister? To be different, you must be renewed in your mind. The mind is the battlefield. If you lose the war, war there, you will lose it in your actions as well. 
For example, if you're always thinking lustful thoughts, it will be all too easy to give in to the least little pressure to mess around physically or to, to look at porn or what have you. Things that are in the church as much as in the world, sad to say. Drinking too much. It's not, we're not those who say you can't have a beer, have some alcohol, other form. But where it has, has priority in your life, where it, it dulls the mind, that sort of thing. If you want to change, begin today to spend time. At least a few minutes every day, starting with reading, studying, or even memorizing God's Word. Don't just read your Bible and then forget what you've read. Perhaps you're saying, well, how do I become this person? How do I become new like this? How can I say what, what David has said? Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. How am I to do that? Where do you, how do you think you have to do that? You have to start with the Word of God. And then after having gone to the Word of God, supplement that by prayer. I know it's an easy thing to say, just look at the Word of God. And of course, I don't mean that, just read it and then forget what you read, as we just said. But study it. How does this passage apply to me? What is it saying to me? And, and do a bit of work on that. It's the precious Word of God. It's the Word for eternal life. It's there for you to have and to, to use day by day. You have it, you're to have it proclaimed to you Sunday after Sunday. Why is the minister doing that? Why on other occasions are elders reading sermons from other ministers, but nevertheless making sure that every Sunday, twice, you're hearing that Word of God? It's because that's what it's about. It's about the Word of God introduced into our lives. Message which at, the, at its base is... Jesus Christ is the Word. He has come to pay for our sins and to deliver us. And here is His Word given through the prophets and, and the apostles and inspired in both instances by the Holy Spirit Himself. He's been poured out upon us as church. He's now taking the Word which you've heard this afternoon <coughs> and its proclamation and He's saying, now, I'm here pushing it on to you. Feel the guilt of your sin and confess it. Get it out of the way. We can be thankful when we have those moments where we feel that, that guilt. And brothers and sisters, we hope for it more and more. If, if that's what's living in you, is this sin. Then you need that removed. You can no longer live with it and be a child of the Lord. And so He wants you to do that. How you do that, but do it. And it can be as simple as prayer to the Lord and asking Him. It may be that in some instances you have to, to talk, perhaps with the person that you've had this sin with, or to go to the one that you can trust the most, and they can also help you and guide you into taking further steps, going to your parents, going to your parents, 
They may be disappointed. They may be angry. But they will become understanding. And they will be there to help you too with the, the troubles in your life. It's tempting. It's tempting. It's always tempting to be wanted by your peers. Many fall for the trap of doing so, doing as the crowd does, so to speak. Quite often the group has nothing to give in the way of leadership. It's all about the joke or being tough, so to speak, being in, so to speak. Those who laugh at you being different are really those who themselves feel insecure, so don't think too much of them. If you're being pestered by and being called a goody-goody or whatever, it's, that's only insecurity speaking. It's, it's them feeling afraid. Because what they're saying is, shouldn't you, shouldn't you be like them and why do they need that? Are they perhaps insecure? Of course. So you're not really being tough to do as they do. It's only acting afraid, as they often are. And who's helping who? Nobody's being helped. I remember this story from my youth, the, the one about the rich man who, who needed a chauffeur. He interviewed three men. I'm sure you've all heard it. He asked the first man, if you were driving me on a winding mountain road, how close could you come to the edge of the road without going over? first driver responded, I'm as good... I'm so good I can drive within 18 inches of the edge. Second driver responded, I could drive within six inches of the edge. The third driver responded, I would drive as far away from the edge as possible. Well, you know who the driver became. Of course, the third one. Why? Well, because the driver was more interested in... in that driver was more interested in the rich man's welfare than in showing how great he could drive or how careless or reckless he could be. Many young people have this attitude, I want to see how close to the edge I can get without getting into trouble. If you want to be used by the Lord, have the attitude of the third servant to honor my master, I will be as far away from danger and sin as I can be. May God help. Peer pressure exists in two forms. It's either positive or negative. If you want to make a difference with your life, you must do more than resist negative peer pressure. You must exert positive peer pressure. See, that's what's needed. We need more people that dare. And that starts by fighting sin in your life, knowing what it is to be free from it, and saying, I've got something wonderful to, to say, because I've experienced it in my own life. Sin only brings me guilt. Acknowledging my sin brings me freedom before the Lord. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. The hand of God was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as with the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. And do you know what that is? The forgiveness of the guilt of your sin. It's to feel that burden lifted that has knocked you down. Because that's what sin does. It wastes your bones away. It 
presses you down. It makes you feel negative. But when the Lord forgives, that is what is lifted off your shoulders. That's why Jesus says, follow, follow me. My burden is light. Of course it is. He's taken the sin, the heavy burden of sin away from you so that you may live with that lightened load. You may feel the, the relief that sin has been removed from your body. And what a relief that is. Live your lives as answers to this situation. Then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I will confess the Lord and you forgave the guilt of the sin. Isn't that wonderful, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? Indeed it is. It's wonderful to know the will of the Lord and to live according to his standards. And he's given to us his law. This is how he calls us to live. And it, is, it should now be a, a privilege, should be something of thanksgiving that we may do so. Not that we are perfect. Not that we can say Sunday after Sunday after hearing the law, I've, I've done all of those things. No, God has been gracious to you because you haven't. And yet, all the more reason to delight in him because he set you free to do so through his own son, Jesus Christ. Amen.